I know we're not going to do children's church today. I'm so sorry. Pastor Al said, no way could anybody do it better than him. So we just said, okay, whatever. <laughs> All right, he may not have said that. but um, So at this time, I'm going to invite Pastor Jim up and welcome him. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning, church. Oh, my goodness. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Oh, that's, that's so much better. Man, could we, we could be anywhere, right? Uh, you could be in Ship, at Ship Creek in Anchorage where the kings are starting to run. That's what I heard this morning. Uh, but it's better to be here, amen, in church. Uh, yeah. Uh, when I said Anchorage, that was the right response, by the way. Uh, so <laughs> It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad uh, Pastor Al and Miss Sandy's out. I heard the wedding went great. And uh, also, I'm excited about the Texas team you've got coming up for VBS. Uh, Pastor Brian, man, that guy's a, a go-getter. He's a duck dog trainer. So some of you guys that hunt, that kinds of stuff, uh, he has a business. He's a, he's a duck dog trainer, man. He trains dogs for guys all over the country. He trains some of the best dogs. Uh, in fact, if somebody here has a dog... Uh, that is trained, you could probably get him in VBS to do his presentation he does at churches where he, uh, he takes the decoy and, and, and uh, kind of illustrates what obedience in Christian living looks like with a trained dog. Uh, you know, uh, seriously. Shot uh, no, it, no shot collar. Yeah, <laughs> no shot collar. Um, in fact, I don't see one up here. I understand you guys have to have one for Pastor Al while he's up here preaching a shot caller, but I, I, I tease, we tease, us pastors tease about that stuff all the time, one another. Uh, but I'm glad uh, to be here with you this morning. And uh, find, if you have your Bible, Colossians, the book of Colossians here in the New Testament. And uh, while you're looking for that, we're going to be in chapter 3. <clears throat> so the question is, uh, kind of a facetious one this morning. Do you ever struggle in your walk with Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know I'm not the only one, okay, <laughs> in here this morning that could just be transparent and say, of course, of course. Every person who names the name of Christ struggles at different points and periods of their life. We all do. Some just struggle more than others, and especially at the beginning of faith. We tend to really struggle. <clears throat> and uh, part of why we struggle is because we have not had friends in our life that we listen to. Uh, part of our struggle is that um, it's the flesh that does, you know, what we want to do. Uh, we're tempted to do what we want rather than God. I mean, there are a lot of reasons that we struggle in life. Sometimes it's beyond our own self and uh, stuff spills out of others and out of life onto us and infects us and we struggle. So lots of reasons that we struggle. But I want to talk to you about the, uh, what it looks like to live the true Christian life. And I want to start with just giving you the context here in the book of Colossians. So do we have that slide or not? We do? Go ahead and throw that slide up there if we've got it. And um, in the book of Colossians, the context is pretty simple. It's just four chapters. And you have to remember, they had no Bible in first century Christianity. 
they just had some letters being passed around by guys like the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and so here is uh, the Apostle Paul writing a church at Colossae. And Colossae was uh, a place like every place even in the 21st century that needed a gospel witness. They needed a gospel-centered church, a Christ-centered church. And they started out, um, you know, when you have no Bible to go by, right? And you're trying to live for Jesus in the first century Christianity where you've heard about this uh, guy that died on the cross that claimed to be God, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. If you were Jewish, you were waiting on that. And if you were Gentile, uh, you were shook up by that. And if you were some religious person following some other kind of God or religion, uh, you were, uh, uh, you, you were, were really uh, a person who would, have, who would have been challenged by that because you thought you were worshiping the right God. And so they had all that going on in Colossae. And in, the, in this Christian church here in Colossae, there were some false teaching going on. Now, it, it, it wasn't nat, uh, particularly on purpose as much as it was that they just didn't have any standard like we have in the Bible. And so there were people that came out of mysticism. They were used to worshiping angels. There were folks who came out of asceticism. These were people who, who believed they could get to God by self-denial somehow. Uh, there were uh, those who were coming out of legalism. In their religious ways, uh, they believed that through uh, some form uh, of uh, ceremony and uh, boundaries of do's and don'ts that they could get to know God and, and know Him. Uh, there were folks coming out uh, of other kinds of religions. And so all of these folks had, had come to Jesus and they had received Him as their Savior. And it was kind of a melting pot, kind of like church is today without a standard, without a Bible in place. And so they did what they knew to do. They started teaching at, uh, at a new birth kind uh, uh, of a place as they started teaching. And they didn't know what to teach except what they'd come out of. So there were people teaching about worshiping angels. And there were people teaching about, no, 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 it's ceremony. We've got to have this in place. We've got to have that in place. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Or we can't know God. And we can't, we can't uh, please God. And we can't go to heaven. And then you had... Uh, folks who were coming uh, out of other backgrounds of asceticism, no, we have to deny ourselves this and we have to do that. And, and we have to, you know, uh, later it, it even became to the point where we have to, you know, beat ourselves with uh, this little whip to, uh, to get our sin out of. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff that would, that would appear very crazy and abnormal to us today uh, was normal in that setting. It had taken root in the church of Jesus, And so there was this false teaching going on. Paul writes this letter. He, he, word gets back to him. And, and he, he writes this letter to the Colossian church. And the first, what we have divided here in his letter, our first two chapters, uh, there's a division at, at uh, the end of chapter 2 and then the beginning of chapter 3 in how it's uh, staged for us in Scripture from his letter. And what we have the first Two or the first half of his letter dealt with uh, the theological side of the heresy or the false teaching that was going on in the church. 
And uh, so Paul began to address, now we don't worship angels, you know, he doesn't use that word, but, but that's what they were doing. And he addresses worship, he addresses the mysticism, the asceticism, the legalism. He addresses all these different people, practices that had come out and teaching that these people were beginning to say, no, 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 uh, we, we need to do it this way. No, 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 we need ceremony. No, we need this. And Paul just begins to unpack what it looks like theologically to follow Jesus. To live the Christian life theologically. Here are the things that we fall back on. And he begins to correct some of the things in these two chapters going on. So you must look when you read Colossians. You must look at it from that context. You must understand heresy and false teaching had rooted itself in that church. And that these first two chapters theologically are so rich. They're so good. They're so foundational in its truth in which we build our practice off of. And and then the next two chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4, are the practical side it's the, uh, it's the application side. It's the, here's how we practice these theological beliefs. Here, here's what our behavior looks like out of that belief. So the simple way to understand Colossians is simply to go, all right, the first two chapters are about belief. And the second two chapters are about behavior. Now, why is that so important in the Christian life? Because we know belief shapes behavior, that's why. What we believe will eventually work itself out in our behavior, in our everyday living. And so in chapter 3, in these first 17 verses, you begin to get a picture as Paul shifts away from belief in chapter 1 and 2, clearing up theological misinformation and teaching, and he begins to launch in to what it looks like. And he begins to talk in these 17 verses here. By the way, we're just looking at verses 1 through 4. Okay, so don't, don't get scared when I say 17 verses. Uh, he begins to take a look here at, uh, at the clothes that you and I have in our closet. Hey, have you ever taken anybody into your room? And You do that with guests probably every time somebody comes over, don't you? Say, hey, you want to come see my closet? Come, you want to you see all my clothes in my closet? Of course you don't do that, right? It's an amazing analogy that Paul uses here um, <clears throat> when he uses the, uh, the, the carnality in our closet versus the character in our closet. It's as though Paul in chapter 3 begins to lay out what our spiritual closet looks like every day that you and I must go to. It's like every day when you get up, you've got to get dressed. Amen? Don't you? I mean, you do. Eventually. <laughs> you eventually have got to get dressed. You, you know, that's just our culture. That's, uh, that, that's who we are. That's what we do every day. We get up and we get dressed. And Paul is using analogy here of clothing and closet to say, every day you live as a Christian. You are visiting your spiritual closet. And there are things in your closet that you're no longer going to wear. Ladies, can you say amen? You get that, don't you? Yeah. 
Right. There are, there are clothes you are never going to wear. You're, there are clothes that you're going to look at and go, I don't know why I used to like that. Right? I, you're going to go, oh, those do not fit me anymore. <laughs> right? Now, guys, we, we, we don't care. Right? We wear tight, baggy pants, whatever. It doesn't matter. But, but women especially. But we all go to our closet. And Paul begins to put out an analogy here about... When you come to Christ, your carnality in your closet doesn't look so good anymore. These are things that you put off. These are things that you don't want to wear. And then sometimes you don't know it and you wear it and you get out in public and somebody makes some little comment like, like uh, yes, yesterday I was wearing a pretty nice shirt. And Lisa goes, why are you wearing that shirt? I know guys, your wives never do this. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean she's got, you got black ink all over the back of your shirt. Well, I can't see it. It looks pretty good to me. <laughs> she goes, well, why are you wearing that shirt? I'm like, what's it matter? Right? I got black ink from an ink pen from the washer that I forgot to take out of my pocket. Right? And she's like, I got to get rid, but it's a really nice shirt. Right? It's kind of a dress kind of a shirt, which I don't wear many dress shirts, as you can tell. And, um, and she's like, you can't wear that. Well, it's starting to dawn on me that's probably not a good shirt for me to wear, right? Well, that's what happens spiritually. That's how the old man passes. That's how the new man comes. And we get to our closet and we go, oh, I didn't even know I had these new clothes in here. Ladies, can you imagine going to your closet one morning and getting dressed and going, oh, oh my goodness, I've got all new clothes I've got a whole new wardrobe in my closet. Can you imagine? Well, spiritually, that's what we have. We have a section in our closet that we don't know exists, that we're finding that out, that we're becoming aware of. And we're going to it and we're going, oh, that will look so good on me. <laughs> Even if it doesn't, I'm wearing it anyway because it looks so good. It will make me better if I wear that. It's a spiritual closet. And Paul begins to talk about what happens with carnality as we take off and with character of Christ and being conformed to his image when we put on. But right up front here in chapter 3, he sets the stage for that spiritual closet, that what you take off, what you put on as the old man passes, the new man, that's obviously a non-gender term, person, and he says some things that are critically important for these people to hear because they're struggling. They're struggling with what they're hearing. They're struggling with what is true and not true. They're struggling with how do I live that out. Do you ever do that where you just get to the point sometimes where you go, wow, I know that's what God wants for me, but I don't know how to, I don't know if I can do that. You ever do that? Listen, I've been a Christian 37 years in ministry, 35, and I still do that sometimes. I still go, God, I just don't know. I just don't know if I can, I just don't know if I can do that. I just don't know. I still got old clothes in my closet too. Although most of the time, I think it's Lisa, but I can't prove it yet. My old shirts I've had for 20 years, guys, the cutoff ones, it's got a hole under here. And, you know, this part under here is like way down here now, and you got a big hole over here. They keep disappearing. I'm not sure where they're going, but I have a good idea where they're going. 
But you know, those things need to go away, right? And so here he says, listen to it, chapter 3, book of Colossians, verse 1 through 4. If then, interesting words, it means since. If then, remember he's shifting from theological correction in truth, from misteaching to practical application. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then finally, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, if you and I were to just read that in a devotional way, we'd go, amen, amen, that's so good. But when you dig into this, and you understand the context of of theology and correction and practical living and you understand that these were people who were struggling day by day by day living for Jesus and by the way you are just as messed up and so am I as they are at work amen we're all messed up if you don't believe that ask your spouse they'll tell you how messed up you are <laughs> ask your kids they'll even confirm it <laughs> amen just because we're perfect in our position doesn't mean we're perfect in our practice. We are still very much sinful in so many ways in our practice. That's why we're being conformed to the image of Christ. Being is a process. No perfection here, and I mean on the planet, no perfection here. We're not sinless, but we are learning how to sin less. And that is being conformed to the image of Christ. We struggle. Now, when you're struggling, Paul puts out four pillars, four realities, four things you can grab a hold of in life as a Christian when you're struggling that will help you, that will strengthen you, that will, that will well up in you. It's, it's kind of like a pressure, you know. When we feel the pressures of life and that heaviness from pressure, this, we talked about this yesterday, Tom, a little bit, uh, the heaviness in life that comes with life and, and just living life, uh, we tend to back off when heaviness occurs. We tend to back up. We tend to stop doing something. We tend to, to uh, not pursue that relationship that's good for us. We tend to not come to church. We tend to not read our Bible. We tend to not move. We tend to move back. That's why us Baptists call it, what, backsliding. <laughs> That's why us Baptists call it that, right? We tend, that pressure comes, that heaviness comes, and it's just like a curtain that falls when we're struggling in life. And by the way, this is, these are stress behaviors that we go in and out of on a daily basis that sometimes we get stuck in for days, weeks, Sometimes, my, I know people who lived in their stress behaviors for years, and they just keep pushing, it just keeps pushing them back. Let me tell you, most of the heaviness that comes in your life is not meant to push you back. It is meant to push you forward. Get that concept in your mind. It's meant to, it's meant, it's meant to push you forward toward a dependence on the Lord. It's meant to push you forward seeking the Lord. It's meant to push you forward 
risking for the Lord. It's meant to push you forward, learning, self-awareness, balance, focus, whatever's going on, that heaviness that tends to push us back because we buy into the lies of powers and principalities is not there most of the time to push us back. It's there to launch us forward because we're uncomfortable with that which we do not know. We're uncomfortable with that which challenges us. We're uncomfortable moving forward in, uh, in an arena in which we've never been before. And you could just go on and on with that. And so all of a sudden he says, here are four realities that, that you people at Colossae need to know. Because these are things that you need to practice. This is the practical side of what life looks like. And when you're struggling with your belief, when you're struggling with your behavior, then you understand that you grab on to these pillars. You build here. So what's the first one? The first one is pretty simple. We are saved. <laughs> Have you ever had to just go back there? I mean, that basic thing. Have you ever had to do that? Young people have to do that a lot. Uh, have you ever had to just go, all right, Lord, I am saved. By golly, I'm saved. You ever had to do something like that? <laughs> I've had to do that many times. And then it's as though God says as a good parent, then act like it, boy. Right? Isn't that kind of what happens? Isn't that kind of why we're questioning that? I'm saved. Then act like it. Live like it. And, and, and so he says, if then you were raised with Christ. Paul is saying to these believers that since the word if then could really, it's better translated out of the Bible language with our English word since. Paul is saying since you were raised with Christ. What's he doing? He's He's putting in a practical application kind of a way what he's already cleared up. That it's, that it's not something besides Jesus that saves you. He's already cleared that up in chapters 1 and 2 theologically. He's, he's working out something practical here. You are Since you have been raised with Christ, raised with Christ is Paul's way and our way today always has been throughout the centuries of identifying as a Christian with Christ. Because there's no better way to identify with Christ as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, than to say, I've been raised with Christ. Because no other person who claimed to be God was ever raised from the dead. None. Nada. And whatever no means in other languages. <laughs> Amen. None. And so, he says... Since you have been raised with Christ, very foundational. Don't we say that when we get baptized? I mean, we see baptisms. Buried with Christ, what? Raised to newness of life, right? And, and, and so he's saying here that, that when you are in trouble in your living for Jesus, remember something. You are saved. Don't question it. Go with it. You are saved. The mountains don't have to move. Dynamite doesn't have to go off. The world doesn't have to explode. You just needed to meet Jesus at the foot of the cross 
trust him by faith, tell him you're sorry and repent of your sin, and he already chose you at the cross. He died for you. He shed his blood for me, and I just need to go back to that cross in my mind and say, that's where I did that. That's how I did that. That's what I said. I committed my life to you, God. I am saved. I'm saved. When you're struggling, go back to the cross and go, God, I am saved. I am yours. It will help you in your struggle. Because when you don't do that and there's questions there and you're wondering, did I ever get saved? I can't tell you how many people I talk to these days who, who say that to me. Well, I hope I am. I think I did. I'm like, man, let's read the book of John together because the book of John, the gospel of John, is all about you knowing you have been saved, that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Christ. And there's no, I don't, I don't know if I am. I think I am. I think I did. I hope so. No, friend. That's no way. That's a waste of time. If you've been to the cross and you've repented of your sin and you've trusted Jesus by faith, then you're saved. That's what the Bible says. That's not what some preacher says, some denomination says. That's not some opinion of man. That's what God says in his word. Amen. You are saved. Right. And when you're struggling, go back to that. Because that will help you immensely. That will clear up some of your struggle immediately. Because his spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will kick in and things will trigger in you that weren't triggered before. And power and principalities have been lying to your mind and filling your mind with lies about you and others. All of a sudden that will dissipate and begin to disappear. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit in you will rise up in you and you will remember. Oh my gosh, I'm God's. I'm his. I'm saved. Nothing better in the world than being saved. I know that's a big church word that we use, saved. But it's real. It's true. And so, he says, if you were raised with Christ. So, here's that pillar. Man, it's, it's like, have you ever been out fishing and had trouble in your boat? I remember being on a mission trip one time. And we were going across this big bay in a third world country. And I noticed the old boy, taxi, taking us across the bay. It was four of them. Well, I mean, they don't know what life jackets are, first of all. The old motor didn't even have the cover on it. It's how we scooted across the bay. I could see the wind and the swells out there. And all of a sudden, it's out in the Caribbean is where it was. In, in, in Belize, and going, believe me, it wasn't that part of Belize. It was not the good part of Belize. And we're going across there, and I noticed, I noticed that water was started coming in the boat. It was a pretty long boat. The motor quit, and we're just doing this, and all of a sudden, water is filling up the boat, and I'm looking, going, ah, no way we're swimming. I mean, we're just in the middle of the bay, right? And water's coming in the boat, and I'm sitting close to the back of the boat because, you know, that's what heavy people do. We sit in the back of the boat. <laughs> and, and I see water coming down. I look down there, and there's no plug. No plug, guys, down at the hole. No plug, and water's just filling it up. 
And I see this guy cranking on the motor and he can't get it going. I'm like, oh, Lord, this is not good. And all of a sudden he's looking around the boat and he sees an old rag over there. He goes and grabs a rag and he twists it and twists it and twists it and, and pokes it in the hole of the boat to stop the water. That happened three times before we got across the bay. I'm like, is there another way across the bay going back? Because <laughs> I'm not going that way, right? You, you ever feel like that? Like life is about to end? As a Christian, you don't have to feel that way. You can grab on to I am saved. I am yours, God. I'm yours. And, and, and here's something else he says. Here's the second pillar. The second part of, of verse 1, and, and uh, he, he says that not only are you saved, but you have been set apart to God. You've been set apart to God. Here's what he says. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And then... Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So he begins to use these three phrases at the end of verse 1, those two phrases, and then in verse 2, that third phrase. And and he uses it in a way to convey three very important thoughts about how you and I are set apart to God. Uh, We are saved, and because of that, we are set apart to God. That means we are to live for Christ. That means we're to follow Him. It doesn't mean we're not going to have struggles. It doesn't mean we're not going to fail. It doesn't mean those things. In fact, powers and principalities are going to do everything they can. You remember Luke chapter 22? Where uh, Jesus is just before the cross, a trial on the cross, and He's with Peter. In Luke chapter 22, He says something like this around verse 31 or 31 to 34, I think it is in Luke chapter 22. And he's talking to Peter. He uses Simon and Peter two different ways there. He's talking to Peter and he goes, Peter, Satan has asked me for you. And he wants to sift you like wheat. In other words, he wants to divide you from me. He wants to sift you like wheat. Uh, But then Jesus says, but I am praying for you. Isn't that awesome? But I am praying for you. And then he says what he's praying for. But I am praying for you. That you will not, basically says, you will not quit your faith. In other words, you're going to fail, Peter. (laughs) You're going to fail, but you're not going to give up. You're going to fail, but failure's not going to be fatal for you. And, And then he says... But I'm praying for you that, that your faith will not fail, I think is how he says it. And then he says, when you come back to me, you're going to fail. You're going to get away from me. He is going to sift you like wheat. I'm going to let him do that. Because that's what powers and principalities does, Peter. But it, it's, not your, it's not going to cause you to lose your faith. It's just going to cause you to struggle. And when you come back to me, go strengthen your brethren. Because, Peter, I know that in your struggle and your failure, it's going to affect the other people around you. And when you come back to me, you go back and strengthen what has been weakened because of your own lapse and your own failure. 
You see, that's just an everyday thing for you and me. We're going to fail. But we have been set apart to God. And he, and, and he says here, seek in verse 1. It means that when we're set apart to God, we need to learn how to change our diet. Because there are things that we need to hunger after that we don't hunger after now. That's hard for me. I'm 6'5", 280, 200, 200 pounds, I mean. Uh, <laughs> 285 pounds. Diet is difficult for me. I, I, I gave up alcohol and drugs 37 years ago, but I can't even give up Ruffles chips. Amen. Diet is hard. Changing your diet is difficult for some of us. And that's what he's saying. Seek in verse 1. Here's, here's how you are set apart. And here's how you live practically day by day by being set apart to God. To live for him. To serve him. To be an ambassador for him. To represent him well in this world. Here's how you do that. You seek. You hunger after. That's what that word means. It means, to, it means to desire the things of God in contrast to the things of the world. That's what he says here when he says seek. Seek those things which are above. Why? Because they had been taught to seek those things which were below. In chapters 1 and 2 he cleared that up theologically. No, our priority is not below. Even though we live below, our priority is above. We may live here, but not our home. Our home's there. But this is the life in which we impact and influence others for there. What we do here pays dividends there in a reward system that none of us really know what that means yet. And with people that go there because you make disciples, but... This is not where you invest all of your funds. If you had a portfolio and you invested everything in this world, you're going to go totally broke. Totally broke. And, and so he says, seek. So he, he's saying, make sure that you understand you're set apart. And the way you live that out is that you hunger after the things of God. You be preoccupied with spiritual things. Just as much or more as your preoccupation is with physical things of this world. That's difficult, isn't it? Isn't that the tension of living every day? Of focusing on my life, my family, my friends, my church, my community. And what that looks like today. Survival. Survive versus thrive. And I mean, it's a doggy dog world. We get that. And if you think it's tough here, go overseas. Go to a third world country. In fact, you don't even have to do that. Just go to one of our villages. At Art Barmas, we serve over 100 villages. Uh, over 100 families in 100 villages. And I can tell you, those villages are more like third world countries than they are the rest of North America. So you want to see real struggle? Go to, the, go to some of those places and you'll see real struggle. Uh, so all of a sudden, he says, here's how you live set apart. This is what you do. And then he moves to the second part there of, of verse 1. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ is 
sitting at the right hand of God. So as you, as you build a hunger, as you change your diet to hunger and thirst after other things, you know when you change your diet, you have to wean yourself off of some stuff, right? I'm gluten-free. And uh, my brother at Brother's Cafe fixed kolaches. You know what kolaches are? Oh my gosh, they are so good. Like this big sandwich. It was good, wasn't it, Tom? He put ham in them, cheese in them, or, or bacon and cheese, or sausage and cheese. Fresh baked bed. Bread. Not bed. Bread. <laughs> and all that's in the middle of that kolache. And he, he baked that for a meeting that Tom and I were in yesterday morning. I took a dozen of those there. But I'm gluten-free. But I ate one. Then there were three left. I took them home. Guess what I did? I ate one. And then we went to the cafe last night and had supper. Chris was cooking. And I ate a cream horn. Do you know what a cream horn is? Oh, my goodness. I haven't had bread for a year. It's not gluten-free. And I ate all that. And you talk about sick. Last night, I was sick all night sleeping. Why? Because it's hard to change your diet. And, and when, when you eat that and when you hunger after that and when you taste that, which you know is not good for you, if you're not careful, it will ruin you. It will ruin you. So, seek after. And then he, he says here where Christ is, is, is obviously above or heaven. And so he's saying, you don't do this alone. You don't change your diet alone. You don't live life for me alone. I help you do that. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. I am your advocate. That's what he said to Peter in Luke 22. But I'm praying for you. <laughs> that, that your faith will not fail. God helps you live for him. You don't do that in your own strength and power. That's not how that works. You pray. You ask him for help. And he, he's a good father. He doesn't deny you help when you ask him, help me live for you. He helps you. He empowers us. He equips us. He puts people in our path. He puts folks there as, uh, uh, as uh, godly counsel. He opens up doors. You know how to discern the will of God, right? Number one, does it line up with scripture? Number two, what's the counsel of the godly say in my life? The two or three people I know walk with God. Not my knothead friends that I'm asking advice from. That'll get you in trouble every time. It's, it's the two or three people I know walk with God that know me and want God's best for my life. So, does it line up with God's word? Number two, what's the godly of the counsel say? Number three, what's the Holy Spirit say in me? Am I getting to peace that passes all understanding? Or... Is he disrupting things for me? And then number four, where are the open doors and the opportunities that God's creating about that decision? And if you skip the first three and you go to number four, it's got, what's that show, Behind Door Number 123? You know what I'm talking about. Us old people remember that show. Uh, if you go to that door and choose that door without the other three, you will find a lot of dead-end rooms. You will find yourself in a lot of trouble. And, and so he says, God will help you. And then here's the third thing he says in verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. So 
He's saying there's a contrast here that you need to be aware of. And in this contrast, you need to know um, that you need to, to, to set your mind. So he's giving instruction here on how to seek. How do you seek? You set your mind, which means it's a picture of concrete, immovable, uh, found, foundational, steady, something you can grab a hold of when things shake and rock your world. It, it's a handle that doesn't move for you. You set your mind, your mind, you set your mind on things above, not things below. Your focus is God and what God wants. We call that God's best. And, and we all want to live in God's best. And when we know what his best is, we move in that way, in that direction. All right. Here's the third thing. Secure. Verse 3. So we're saved. That's a pillar. We grab onto that pillar. We're set apart for God. And his use. We're his. We're his servant. And, and, and that's a pillar that we must remember in times of struggle. And, and so being set apart means that, that when I know that and I grab onto that when I'm struggling, then I have to say, okay, God, what do you want? I'm set apart to you. So what do you want, God? Show me. And then the third one is secure. I'm secure. Verse 3. For you died. Wow. This is, these are important words. You died. You chose to give your life to Christ. He didn't make you do that. You chose it. He chose you already. The foundation of the world, and he chose you. He died for you, John 3, 16, the whole world. He, he chose you. And when you heard the gospel, that triggered that you've been chosen. And now you can accept or reject. You accepted. You died. You died to yourself. You said yes to Jesus. Nobody forced you to do that. Do you need to remember that sometimes? <laughs> I do. I need to go, man, I made that conscious choice at 5 o'clock one morning at 23 years old, never hearing the gospel until just a few times I went to church with my wife. And I made that choice. I didn't know all the ramifications of that choice, but I made that choice. You died. Your old man is passing away. You died, he says. And your life is hidden with Christ. It means it's been concealed from the world. The world does not understand. When they look at you and you're different, they do not understand the difference. They do, they do not get it. Do you get that with people who are lost? Who used to know you? Used to know you? What do you mean? What do you mean you don't drink no more? What do you mean you don't party no more? What, what do you mean you don't do this anymore? You don't do that anymore. That It's concealed. Your life is hidden. It's concealed. The word hidden there means concealed from the world. The world does not get you. And if you have not come to grips with that yet, and if you're not okay with that yet, you're going to have more struggles than you need to have. Because you're going to be more worried about what people think and what people say and how people treat you than you are living for Christ. You just need to know the world will never get you. 
There are some people in your family who will never understand why you changed. There are some friends at work that will never accept you because you're different. And you don't do this and that. It's just the way it is. Your new life in Christ has been hidden. It's been concealed from the world. They, they do not understand it. But that doesn't mean we don't need to tell them about it. And, and, and so we are, we, we are secure. He goes on here. You died and, uh, and your, your life is hidden in verse 3. Uh, and then he says with Christ in God. So you and I are with, it's been hidden uh, with Christ in God. In other words, God has you in the palm of his hand. You remember the other verse that goes along with that? That nothing can pluck you out of the Father's hand. You are secure. I don't know about you, but I need that sometimes. When I'm blowing it and I'm struggling, I need to know that God's not going to wad me up like a piece of paper and go, I'm done with you, Hamilton, in the trash can. I need to know that's never going to happen. I need to know that when I fail, I'm secure in the hand of God. He still loves me. I need to know sometimes when I'm struggling that God is cheering me on and giving me the, you can do it speech. Right. You can do it, Jim. You can do it. I need to know God is for me. That he's never going to, to walk away like many parents do these days. That he's never going to, to say, uh, just, just get out and go. You made your bed, go lie. I need to know he's never going to respond to me that way in my struggle. I'm secure. Lastly, um, we share. We share. We share a lot of things. Verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We share a common redemption in the body of Christ. We are the biggest, if you want to look at it from this way, we are the biggest club on the planet. We have the biggest membership on the planet, right? Uh, in the sense that, that we are the body of Christ. But we all share the same benefits, the same responsibilities, the same expectations, the same blessings that come our way. We, we all share the same commission to make disciples. We all share the same destination. We all share the same ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. I mean the list just goes on and on and on. And, and that's what Paul's getting at. When Christ who is our life appears. Someday this is what we all share. <laughs> A new body. We're all going to be 6'5 and 285. And ugly. <laughs> Perfect. Well we know that's not going to happen. We all share an eternal destination at the second coming of Christ. When he appears, we all share that common salvation and everything that that means salvation. When we say we are saved, we all share 
everything that that means. And the list is so long, you can't even think of all of it. But we all share that same thing. So why do we divide so much? Why do we argue so much? Why do we fuss amongst ourselves so much? It's because of our struggle. Our struggle. He, he closes here in this section in verse 4. Then you will also, then you also will appear with him in glory. What he's, what he's saying here is, is that this common salvation that we have, when we're struggling, and we're shifting into stress behaviors because needs aren't being met in our life, and it spills out on our family, our friends, our workplace, others, church, wherever. Because that's, that's what happens. You know that, right? We all have needs in life. And when our needs are not being met, in fact, um, there's a, an assessment called the Berkman method that, that I give people. And it has the nine areas of life. And all nine of these areas of life that we all have, we all have needs in these nine areas. And when our needs are not being met with some level of consistency, then we move into our stress behaviors, which is our old man, our old person. And we move away from the new creation in Christ, which is us at our best. And some of those go quickly and leave. I'm hungry and I get crabby. I eat and I'm done. I'm not crabby anymore. Some of that just happens quickly. But some of that stays with us for days. We, we live in those stress behaviors for months. Some people for years. No joy in the Lord. No satisfaction in Christ. No earthly good for spiritual reasons. I mean, it, you, you can't live that way. We share a common salvation, a common redemption. There are so many things we share that make us, that should make us celebrate and cooperate and collaborate and worship together. There are so many things that we share that ought to make us so glad and bring us together in so many ways. So much so that there are only a few things that should ever divide us. And Paul dealt with that in chapters 1 and 2. And that's wrong theology. Wrong theology. Worldly. Rather than godly. So I want to encourage you. When you're struggling in life. Reach back and grab a hold of one of these pillars. Because sometimes we need one more than the other. When you're struggling living for Jesus, just remember that you are saved. You don't have to doubt it if you went through the biblical process of coming to Christ. If you didn't come down to church all, that doesn't mean you weren't saved. If you didn't join a church when a preacher said, are you saved, Jim? And you went, yeah. That doesn't mean you're not saved. That's not what being saved is. Although that's one way we say we are. And, and sometimes you know that, but, but sometimes you've got to grab a hold of, I am set apart. 
and I'm not doing what is necessary to hunger after God. My desire is more for this world and the things of this world than they are for God. Well, that's why you're so miserable right there. That's why you're so miserable. Change your stinking diet. That's what you got to do. Get some help. There are a lot of people with diet plans that are good that will help you change your diet. Maybe you need to grab a hold of that. Maybe you need to grab a hold of I am secure. God's never going to wad you up like a piece of paper. You're never going to do anything bad enough. You're never ever going to blow it enough. You're never, it's never going to happen. God is never going to wad you up like a piece of paper and say, I don't love you anymore. Regardless of what your, your experience on this planet has been, not going to happen. You are secure with him. You share the same redemption, the same father, the same savior, the same blessing, the same favor that everybody else who is in Christ shares. You're not the black sheep of the family. I don't care what somebody tells you. Doesn't matter what they say. Listen to God, don't listen to them. You're not a second class citizen. They don't live in heaven. No second class citizens in the kingdom of God. You are loved. You are valued. And he wants you to be the best you can be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. How the word... Your word encourages us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have directed your word and aimed it at different places in our heart, in our mind, in our life this morning. All of us are at different places in life, living. But God, we're in the same place here today, and we all have the same need to know you, to grow in you, and to serve you. So, Lord, in our connectedness to your word and the power of your spirit today, we pray, God, you would help us to be better aware of who we are in Christ and what that looks like in life. So, Lord, we pray for that person today who may need to come to you and firm up their salvation if that would happen in their life this morning, this week, as soon as possible. God, for those of us this morning who struggle with being set apart to you to live for you. Lord, change our diet. Help us. Lord, help us to be people who understand your great love for us and that that might motivate and move us to share it with others. We thank you now for this church. We pray it would continue to be a beacon of light on this property. Lord, we pray that as this church is scattered through the week, that as, they, as you invest in them, that they would invite people to know more about you. We pray your blessing and favor here in Christ's name. Amen.